0: Philippians is such a brilliant book, isn't it? And we're going to be... I'm going to make you work by looking it up in the Bible um, rather than having put the the things up on the screen. So, we've arrived at chapter 4, page 1180. And verse 1 says, therefore... Now, when I was young, I heard a speaker say, when you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? (laughs) And it always refers to something that's just been said. And maybe verse 1 should have been tacked onto the end of chapter 3. Because um, for those of you who've been paying attention to chapter 3, which is a brilliant chapter, Paul has been talking about, he listed his CV, didn't he? All the things he would have had human pride in before he encountered Jesus. All those things he would have naturally just been full of, you know... Um, he got his identity from before. He said, having met Jesus, he considered them and he used the word for excrement. It would have been a rude, disgusting word. But saying that stuff I put my pride in was rubbish. It was filth. It was excrement compared with knowing Jesus. So he's really laying it out there. And then uh, towards the end of it, he's saying verse 13 to 14, I'm pressing on to follow Jesus. I'm pressing on for what is ahead. And at the end of the chapter, he says our citizenship is in heaven. So maybe that's what the therefore is there for. He's saying, we are headed for heaven, folks. We are headed for the glory of heaven. Jesus has provided us with the opportunity for eternity. And therefore, and now he's coming in with a few (coughs) instructions and exhortations about how to live. Because our citizenship is in heaven. And one day, the incredible wonder that each one of us who knows Jesus will have when we see him face to face. I often think of my mom. She sees Jesus face to face. And, and those loved ones we know who knew Jesus, who are now seeing Jesus face to face. And that is ahead of each one of us. Therefore. So that's how we go into our passage now. Maybe we should say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> So he says, therefore, stand firm. Stand firm. Isn't that good? We need to encourage each other to stand firm. I need you to encourage me to stand firm. And I need to encourage you to stand firm. Everything we do for Jesus now will not be wasted. And whether they're physical actions of love or kindness to somebody, or whether they're internal things where we have a, a wrestle and a battle with the, with the Holy Spirit convicting us of something and we, and we change our heart attitude to something, none of those things will be wasted. So let's be people that encourage and each urge each other in living pure, holy lives for Jesus. Therefore, stand firm. So that's how he starts chapter 4. And now he picks up on something he's caught wind of in the Philippian church. So this is one of his um, prison letters, and he's writing it from prison, and he'd, he'd, um, he'd started up a little church in Philippi. He'd led a few people to Jesus there and gone on on one of his mission trips, and now he's writing to this little church in Philippi. And he's got wind of something, and that is that two women in the church had fallen out. Imagine that whatever sort of church was that, where people fell out? Well, let's look into this. These women are not any women. They are not problem women or difficult women. They are amazing women. They are amazing women. Look at verse 3. Look what it says about them. They have contended at Paul's side for the gospel These are women who love Jesus, who've encountered Jesus, who are passionate about Jesus, who have contended for the gospel. What does contend mean? It's not a wishy-washy word, is it? Contend. When you contend for something, what do you do? You fight, you battle. These women have fought for the gospel. They have contended. They have told people about Jesus. They have loved people. These are amazing women. But they've fallen out. (coughs) Why is Paul addressing it in a letter to the church? Why isn't he just putting a little note into these two women privately? When it should be a personal thing. He's addressing it because it's affecting the church. I love the way the Bible's so real. Now, Paul himself, we know, fell out with Barnabas over a young man called John Mark. In the book of Acts, when he was on his missionary journeys, he started off his missionary journeys with a guy called Barnabas. And at one point, Barnabas wanted to bring this young lad, John Mark, along. But Paul said, no, I don't want to take him because he abandoned us on a previous mission trip. I don't want to take him. And he and Barnabas, it says they had a sharp dispute. These were both incredibly godly men, but they had a sharp dispute. So Barnabas took John Mark on a mission trip and Paul took Silas and they went different directions. But we know that they reconciled because later on Paul references this young man and he says how he was very useful to him and he honors him. Even mature Christians can fall out. The church is not a frictionless place. And those of you who've been Christians for a long time will nod at that internally anyway. But we need to deal with conflict in a healthy way because what happens otherwise? It festers, it goes underground, it bubbles around. And what we do then in that situation is we open the door to the enemy it's like opening the door to Satan and saying, come into our church, have a seat. Can I, can I give you a massage? Animosity towards a fellow Christian gives Satan a foothold. Yeah. It hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. It undermines what God wants to do. And we need to take it very, very seriously in our own lives. We really do. So what should we do when we do have a disagreement with another Christian? What should we do? Well we're not meant to brush it under the carpet are we we're not meant to fester we're not meant to share it just for prayer we're not meant to gossip we know that we're not want to talk about people to other people in a negative way if we can't work it out ourselves Paul between ourselves in a loving way Paul actually recommends here he's asking someone to help them he says help these women he's suggesting a mediator A wonderful godly third party who can sit down with these two precious ladies and talk and listen and bring unity and bring restoration isn't that beautiful there's an honesty there's a walking in the light with each other there's a purity to it there's a kindness to it what a good idea what a good idea And look, he goes straight back to verse 3. These women have contended for the gospel. And I love it where he says, along with these other characters, whose names are in the book of life. And he's reminding them again, guys, we're on track for heaven. Let's not get distracted. Because Satan wants us to get us fighting flesh and blood. Satan wants to get all our attention, all our energies, riled up towards that person who I don't like what they do or I don't like who they are or I don't like something about them. And, uh. and so all our energies go into feeling cross with somebody else. And it makes us ineffective, doesn't it? It makes us more useful to the enemy than to Jesus. And Paul is just reminding them, guys, our citizenship is in heaven. Let's run towards Jesus. Let's get this stuff sorted. Let's, let's deal with this. I just Actually, this isn't in my notes, but it just came into my mind. A few years ago, when, when Donald Trump was put in position um, in office, I found him, it was his personal confession, very repulsive, and I couldn't pray for him at all. And I actually felt very, real animosity towards him. My nieces are American, and they were having this tension in their country of who to vote for and all this kind of thing. Um, and I was trying to pray about something else, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, um, you need to forgive Donald Trump. And my, I was thinking, it's it's. none of it's not, I don't need to forgive him for anything. He hasn't done anything against me personally. But actually, I had real anger and hatred towards him. And I knew my attitude was wrong. And it was almost like I couldn't pray about anything else because this was, my heart was so toxic towards Donald Trump. So in the end, I literally just knew, I so couldn't bear the man, sorry, um, that I just said, Lord, help me, help me. And as soon as I said, Lord, help me, I had an image in my mind of Jesus hanging on the cross, bleeding for Donald Trump. Nothing had changed about um, who Donald Trump was, but what Jesus showed me was his love for Donald, and his love, he died on the cross. Donald Trump was one of the people he died on the cross for, as each one of us was. And when I saw Jesus' love for that man, it melted something in my heart. I could forgive him and I could pray for him. So if there's somebody you're struggling with or who just really gets your goat, you know, then ask Jesus to help you. <laughs> Say, Jesus, give, just help me. As quick as a flash, that image came into my mind. It would be different, you know, each time I ask Jesus for help in a situation, it might be different. But in that situation, it was so helpful. It shifted my attitude towards him and gave me compassion the way Jesus showed me, the way Jesus saw that person. Okay. That was for free, that one, because that wasn't in my notes. So now where am I? Um, Yeah. And you know when you've forgiven someone, if you can pray blessing for them? That's another whole step, isn't it? (laughs) Pray blessing for them. And if you hear something bad happens to them, do you secretly feel pleased? Well, you know, if that's the case, you know you haven't forgiven them. You need to do a bit more work in your heart. (laughs) It says in verse 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Isn't that beautiful little nugget in the middle of this amazing passage that we're going to go on to about worry? Let your gentleness be evident to all. It's beautiful. Lord, help me be gentle. I'm just going to encourage us all to close our eyes at this point. And we're going to say, Lord, just in your heart, say, Lord, help me be gentle. Lord, help me be gentle. Holy Spirit, is there anyone at all right now that I need to forgive? And if there is, Jesus, would you help me? And if it's really tough to forgive that person, then just say, Jesus, would you bring me to a place where I'm willing to forgive? Because I don't want to open the door for the enemy into my life or into this church. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to help me. Amen. Please feel free to open your eyes. Well, the rest of this passage is pure gold. It really is. And I think some of these verses here, verses four to nine, are literally worth learning off by heart. So the next section is, he tells them not to worry, and he tells them what to think about. And what I think, looking at this whole chunk, it is about mind management. I think it is about what we think about with our minds. Now, our minds are really different from our brains, aren't they? Think about it for a minute. Our brain is purely a physical bit of our body, like a you know another organ. It's a a physical part of our body. But what's our mind? Our mind is the things we think about. Verse six, do not be anxious. It just says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. I mean, partly you can almost think, how ridiculous. He doesn't say if you're anxious or when you're anxious, he says don't be anxious. It's Thankfully, he doesn't finish there. He goes on to add stuff, because otherwise, it's like you can't just say to someone, oh, don't worry, don't worry. You know, that in itself isn't enough. It's almost a bit offensive. Is he commanding us not to worry? Or is he exhorting us not to worry? Well, let's think about it. Does God worry? Does God have anxious thoughts? No. We are made in the image of God, and we are actually not designed to worry. Like a car is not designed to run on water or orange juice. We are not designed to worry. The Bible says we're made in God's image. Our brains are actually not created in a way that will function healthily with worry. Now, how many of you have read anything about neurology or brain science or who kind of like listening to all of that stuff? I think in another, in another parallel universe, I would have really enjoyed doing neuroscience. I love all this stuff. It's so interesting. I have very, very, very limited understanding of all of this. Um, but it seems to me, from what I picked up, that our brains are plastic or elastic. They can change. It's not set in stone the way that our brains are at the moment. And when we have a thought... It causes kind of neurological activity and all sorts of proteins and chemical reactions and, and um, nerve, nerve impulses. And if our brains fire. They kind of boom, fire these little sparks. And, you know, people actually take um, images of brains, don't they? And they see the electrical activity going on in brains. So different, different mental activities change our brainwave patterns. And repeated thought processes actually change the physical makeup of our brains. So repeated thought processes. E.g., did you know, the brains of London black cab taxi drivers, who've had to do the knowledge, are thicker, the actual physical brains, in certain areas key to visual memory. They're thicker, their actual brains have changed because of repeated mental thought processes. Brains of pianists, who's a pianist here? Well, you'll be pleased to know that your brains are thicker in the area of fine motor function. Isn't that interesting? And so on. Repeated mental thought processes actually physically change our brains. Brain scientists are finding out new stuff all the time. Our brains are the most incredible thing, capable of the most amazing things. And what they've discovered is, and here's a quote, we can use our minds to change our brains to benefit our minds. Okay? We can use our minds, sorry, I don't know why that keeps clonking. We can use our minds to change our brains to benefit our minds. Isn't that an amazing phrase? One psychologist came out apparently with a famous phrase in these circles, neurons that fire together, wire together. So you have neurons firing off and creating new pathways, which I suppose it's like when you're revising for an exam, the more you revise, the more it really fixes it in your brain. So you're creating new pathways in your brain by repeated thought processes. Isn't that amazing? So I think of it a bit like a jungle. You know, if you're going through a jungle and it's the first time you've walked through a jungle and there's no path, you have to cut, it's really difficult to push your way through. But the second time you walk through, you might see a little bit flattened, or maybe a bit of your garden, if you've neglected it. Um, And then the third time, it gets a bit easier. And by the fourth, fifth, sixth time, you know, that path's cleared, and eventually there's a path cleared, and maybe you even put a motorway through the middle of that jungle. That's what we can do with our brains through repeated thought processes. By repeated ways of thinking, certain ways of thinking, we can create pathways in our brains that our minds will run along more easily. These can be negative pathways, or positive pathways. So when we have a thought, um, there's, there's a Christian neuroscientist called Dr Caroline Leaf, which I think is a lovely name. You could look her up, just remember the word leaf. And she's an amazing... Um, is she Aussie or New Zealand? I can't remember. Anyway, from down under. And she's a Christian, and she's a neuroscientist. And she's just... I've, I've looked... She's an author. And I've looked up some amazing stuff of hers online. And she says that actually the actual physical picture of what happens in our brains when we have a thought, it looks like trees growing. It literally looks like a forest of trees. And so she's written this book, I highly recommend to you, Switch on Your Brain. Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. And it's a really interesting way of teaching us how we can align our minds much more with truth and who God says he is, and who God, who God says we are, and think much more healthily, particularly if you're prone to, to worry or anxiety. But she describes these um, different kinds of thoughts, like trees. And she said, when we have a negative thought, when we have an anxious thought, or when we have, a, um, when we have thoughts of bitterness, that actually the, the processes that happen within our brain look like this, they, look to- they are toxic to our brains. Whereas when we have um, thoughts of truth and kindness and love, they actually look healthy. Um, This is the best I could find. They're both oak from an oak tree. So actually, um, negative, bitter, unforgiving thoughts are toxic to our brains. Isn't that incredible? They're actually toxic and harmful to our brains. Whereas um, loving thoughts are healthy for our brains. So our minds apparently recognize toxic thoughts as if they are actually a wound. The way our bodies recognize a wound, if we have a toxic thought, a thought of unforgiveness, our minds actually, our brains actually recognize that thought as if it's toxic to our body. And our brains release certain chemicals into our bodies. And obviously what our brains release into our bodies is going to work its way out into our into our bodies, and so actually we can poison our bodies (laughs) through our thoughts. We poison our brain through our thoughts, and our brain then poisons our body through our thoughts because it releases certain chemicals to do with unforgiveness and bitterness. Um, Isn't that extraordinary? Have you ever thought that how we think affects our spirits, our minds, our bodies, and the people around us? Think about the people around you. How they think affects you, doesn't it? If they're thinking negatively, if, you're, if you know someone, have a friend who thinks very negatively all the time, do you like being around them? <laughs> Imagine what that's doing to their body, and it's doing to the people around them. We don't want to be like that. God has wired us for love. God has wired us for love. Isn't that incredible? Our brains are actually wired for love. It's beautiful. It's funny how science is now catching up with the word of God. What does the Lord tell us? Do not be anxious about anything. We're not wired for anxiety. It's toxic to us. So it's easier said than done, don't be anxious. But what's wonderful is the Bible so practical. Now, I don't know about you, but I can be a bit of an expert in worry. <laughs> so it's one thing saying don't worry... But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. The Bible is so practical. God is so practical. He tells us what to do when we do feel worried. Um, And he's willing to help us. And that's why we need to know the Bible and read the Bible, because it's just so full of wisdom for our actual physical and mental well-being. Now, look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Now, there are three things here. By prayer, petition, with thanksgiving prayer petition thanksgiving prayer petition thanksgiving these are the wonderful golden magical tools through which we can actually be healthy mentally and healthy physically so practical what's prayer just talking to jesus so the minute we feel anxious okay this is a toolkit for you all right anybody here ever been worried about anything put your hand up oh okay good i'm not alone right First thing we do, immediately talk to Jesus. Tell him, I'm worried. Jesus, I'm so worried about this. Just tell him. Petition, what's petition? Asking. Ask him for help. Ask him for what you need. Ask him, tell him how you're feeling. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him how you're feeling. And Now, most of us stop there. But here is the key with thanksgiving. What? What? That's a bit of a curveball. What on the earth? Did you know Thanksgiving is a supernatural antidote to worry? It's the most healthy thing we can do to rewire our brains and cause healthy hormones and proteins and serotonin and all sorts of other wonderful things, substances, to flow through our bodies. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving actually rewires our brains and leads us into health. Isn't that amazing? How do we do this? Right. When we're worried, we talk to God, we pour it all out, we ask for his help, and then we start thanking him. This is the key. How many of you worry about something, pray about it, and then carry on worrying about it? Ever done that? (laughs) Is that a pattern? What's the point of praying? God wants us to hand the worry to him and receive something in exchange. But the thanking is really key. So what do we thank him for? What sort of things can we thank him for when we're worried? We've prayed, we've poured out our heart, we've asked for help. Now, this is what I do. I don't know what anyone else does, and I don't know what Paul did, but what I do is I start thanking God of things that I know are true. Thank you, Lord, you love me. Thank you, Lord, you're with me. What basic stuff do we know that we know that we know? Thank you, God, you're in charge and you're in control. That's such a good one. Actually, that's probably the first one. Thank you, Lord, you're in charge. Thank you, Lord, that you have good things planned for me. Thank you that you have all the wisdom that I need in this situation. Thank you that you see me and hear me and you have a way through. Thank you that you are all-loving and all-powerful. Do you get what I mean? What am I doing while I'm thanking? So I've told him about it, I've asked for help, but I don't stop there. Because if I do, I'm going to still go away worrying. I turn to thanks at that point And I start reminding myself who God is how he feels about me, his heart towards me, and his promises. And that's the key, because what you're doing, and I really encourage you to do this out loud, is you're making declarations, spiritual declarations of truth over yourself. And they literally shift stuff in our minds and in our hearts, and we can walk away with peace, because that's the next bit. It's a wonderful exchange. We hand our anxiety to God... And he, in return, we hand it, and in return, he gives us peace. It's an exchange. It's an upgrade. Here's all my anxiety, Lord. Oh, wow, you give me peace that passes understanding. But the thanksgiving is a real key. It's a real gateway to that, that peace. Now, anyone who knew my dad would never have thought he worried. He was a man of faith. But my mum would say, yes, my dad was really prone to worry. But what he'd learnt to do from the minute he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, he knew God was his heavenly Father. And the minute he felt worried about something, he immediately ran to God. So um, you'd hear him having, the minute he lost his car keys, the first thing he'd say is, Thank you, Lord, you know where the keys are. (laughs) He bypassed the anxiety stage. He just ran straight to the Father. He ran straight to the Father. And and even without the prayer and petition bit, he just did the Thanksgiving bit straight away. So actually, maybe we can get really smart and just do the Thanksgiving bit straight away. Thank you, Lord, you're in control. Thank you, you love me. Thank you, you know where the keys are. You know, when I pass my driving test, any of you have kids that pass their driving test and you remember that when they're 17 and they drive off down the road in the car and you know that they're in a killing machine and that the roads are full of idiots and you're scared? Well, my mum, they, they never communicated any fear to me. I passed my test and they'd say, off you go, love, darling, have a lovely time. My dad would feel worried the minute I drove off down the road. I never knew that. And he would get on his knees and he would pray. And he would thank God. Thank you, Lord, that you love her, you're with her, that you have angels protecting her. Thank you, you're going to keep her safe. And he would, he would give that anxiety, immediately release the anxiety to the Lord so it didn't take hold, so it didn't cause toxic thinking in his brain. Yeah. So I'm coming into land now. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. Our minds need Guarding. From all the rubbish that's around, everything that would throw us and sway us and confuse us and wobble us, our minds need guarding. And this is the, isn't this so practical? Prayer, petition, thanksgiving, and we shift it off to him and say, I receive your peace. I receive your peace. I even put my hand on my heart and say, I receive your peace, Jesus. I receive it. I let go of all that anxiety. I let go of it, and I receive your peace and your truth. It's an amazing exchange. And the final verse, the one, smart ones of you might have noticed I missed out. Oh, actually, I haven't then even talked about the last bit, but I think I've talked quite long. It tells us what to think about. The last bit, beautiful, isn't it? Verses 8 and 9. True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things. That's a plumb line. When I'm having a thought about somebody, let's hold it up against this plumb line. Is this thought True. Is this thought lovely? Is this thought pure? If it's not, toss that thought out. And the one I'm coming in to land on is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say Rejoice rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, 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 and again I say rejoice. Those of you who've been Christians a certain length of time <laughs> grew up with that as a round. Rejoice in the Lord always. How can we rejoice in the Lord always? Maybe that's the, we give him the, we pray, we petition, we start to thank. And then here's the real precious thing that we're wired for that we're wired for health, we're wired for love. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, whatever my circumstances, I can rejoice in the Lord, even if everything is horrible. Paul's in prison. He's in prison. Not in a nice sanitized prison these days. In like a prison back however many thousand years ago. I can't even imagine. But we can rejoice in the Lord. And God gives us that ability to rejoice in him because he's our beautiful, wonderful savior who loves us. Our citizenship is in heaven. We need to stand firm. Our names are written in the book of life and whatever circumstances are going on, and we can tell the Lord all of that and we can pour it out to him. But at the end of the day, let's be people who wake up And rejoice in the Lord and say, Lord, I rejoice in you that my name is written in the book of life. I rejoice in you that when my body fails me, I'm going to see you face to face. We can always rejoice in the Lord. Let's be people who rejoice in the Lord. Let's be people who are full of thankfulness and gratitude to Jesus every day of our lives for what he's done. And our wonderful creator wired our bodies for peace and love. Not for anxiety, what a beautiful, kind, wise, loving creator we have.